Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. On today's episode, I'm joined by Melissa Craig. I want you to imagine planning a road trip. You've picked your destination, packed your things, told your friends and family of your adventure, and the days before you set out, you realize it's the wrong destination. Instead of delaying the trip, you have to set out on the journey, trusting that the destination will reveal itself in time. This is Melissa Craig's story and her career. Melissa went to under and postgrad to become an intelligence analyst focused on terrorist financing. Except upon graduating with her master's, she realized this was not where she saw herself. Without a career mapped out, Melissa set off to live in DC where she would go on to experience tremendous success in her career. Today, Melissa is the VP of Americas at Evolution Software, leading a team of nearly 20 individuals across product, sales, customer services, and success. On our episode today, we discuss how to lean into fear so it doesn't block your career. You know, I think one of the, the things that I have always done is I haven't been afraid to put myself in those uncomfortable positions. You know, it's still scary. That doesn't mean that I'm not afraid of it, you know, but I, I have pushed myself to do these types of things that I, I may not have innately thought were possible or were things that I could, could necessarily do. I tried it anyways. How to let go of not having a career path and focus instead on staying true to yourself. And we talk about approaching new situations with the mindset of what unique perspective can you bring? This is a wonderful conversation with a brilliant woman. I'm so excited for you to get to meet Melissa. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so grateful that we got a chance to connect for very different circumstances, but I knew once we got to work together that I just was so intrigued by you and your background and so impressed by how you approach the work that you do that I wanted you to be on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. It's, that's really nice. I appreciate it. It's very humbling. Yeah. Oh, well, and I, I'm, I'm so excited today because it's always a treat for me to get to talk with somebody who has a background that is different than one that I normally get to engage with. And so I have to kind of manage my own curiosity about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what led you to where you are, the career path and why you've chosen it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to today because you definitely have a, a more unique background than one that I typically have on the podcast. Well, great. Hopefully I can provide some good insight. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you will. Well, some of these, I I sometimes jump right in, but I think what I want to do is I think let's go back to kickstarting your career because where you are today is quite different than where you had started out and were set on having your career. Cause you did a double major in your undergrad at Virginia Tech in economics and international studies, and then went to get your master's at Old Dominion in international studies. But you decided not to pursue international studies. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> and, and that can be a hard thing sometimes, but you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the path that it has taken me. So I'll, I'll start with that. But yeah, you know, I, I didn't really know going to college, you know, going to undergrad, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I chose majors that just kind of aligned with my interests rather than really thinking about what I wanted to do long-term. 
And, you know, when I, when I got to my senior year of undergrad, I, I kind of decided that I wanted to, to do a career path in intelligence analysis. You know, I was, I, my freshman year at Virginia Tech was when 9-11 happened. And so, you know, that kind of shaped a lot of, of my undergraduate career. And, you know, I had an interest in it and, you know, politics, political science, that kind of thing always kind of interested me. And I started to really find it a little bit more fascinating on the international level. But I didn't figure that out till my senior year. Well, real quick, I'm curious, again, because this is an area that's unfamiliar, intelligence analysis. What do you do in that line of work? Sure. No, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's more, you kind of think of like FBI, CIA kind of thing. And, you know, I always kind of pictured it as, you know, the, the people that are out there in the field doing kind of secret agent type of work. But, you know, I think intelligence analysis, what it really boils down to is, is just kind of doing that on a research kind of thing and, and looking into data and look, you know, analyzing basically foreign intelligence that you get in a lot of different areas. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's super helpful. Yeah, and my specific, what I ultimately was kind of interested in was actually terrorist financing. And that kind of aligned with my economics and international right. studies degrees. You know, I've always enjoyed math. I, I, I should also say that I've always had lots of different interests. So it was really hard for me to narrow in and know what I wanted to do. So, you know, terrorist financing kind of work, you know, following and analyzing the data related to the financial type of data that would impact terrorists to be able to, to kind of cut them off in, in that type of area. But anyways, I, I didn't really feel like I had the, the background or I wasn't really ready to just jump in and start looking for jobs when I, when I came out of undergrad. So I decided to go to grad school and kind of, you know, learn a little bit more, really go down that path a little bit more. And there was a concentration in my grad school program that, that aligned well with that. Do people typically go or can you go from undergrad into doing an intelligence analysis role or do you need a master's? No, you don't need a master's. But, you know, it was just one of those things where I did not feel like I had I I just wasn't ready. You know, I felt like in order to, to be able to do interviews and things like that, I just I needed more. You know, I needed more knowledge. I needed more expertise to be able to to really dive into that. All right. So you go to get more, you complete your master's and then. Walk us through because you end up in an AA role. (laughs) (laughs) No, so it was honestly, it was one of those things I, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to have been offered a job, you know, after a little while in intelligence analysis, what I wanted to do, but it was a, a couple of months after I had graduated. And at that point in time, I had decided that I wanted to move up to the Washington DC area. And the job that I had been offered was, you know, it would have kept me in my hometown. You know, so it was a real struggle for me, honestly, because it was it was hard to even get that job offer, you know, and I was I was looking forward to it and it would have been a great opportunity. But at that time I was I was not only questioning where I wanted to be location wise, right. but did I really want this intelligence analysis career? You know, because I, I think the I, I was always kind of had pictured more of the glamorous kind of stuff that you see and like, you know, that show Homeland, you know, that's a good example of it. But that that's not me. Like I didn't have the courage to go out and be, you know, basically a secret agent or, or whatever you want to call it to be out in the field, I would really be sitting behind a desk, you know, looking at data and, and thinking about it more. I was just like, I don't know if this is what I want. And, you know, I think I could look back and I could have lots of regrets and hindsight is 2020. There's a lot of things that I wish I would have known and wish I would have done at the time. But I, you know, again, I still don't, I don't regret my path because it's led me to where I am today. 
but yeah, so I, I just, you know, I kind of, I somewhat pursued that career a little bit more and just never really got any more job offers and just ultimately decided, you know what, I don't think this is really for me. And my goal really just became to, to move up to the DC area where, you know, I just felt like there were a lot of different opportunities. Again, I, I had that, you know, political interest in some way, like interest in the political process, I should say you know, had that interest in just kind of international and, and global just things. And so, you know, DC was not far from, from my hometown, just a couple of hours away. So it wasn't a big, huge jump. And so I just focused on getting a job there just to get my foot in the door somewhere. Got it. Okay. So yeah. So then the, the goal became location rather than, than a specific job. Right. Right. Okay. Oh my gosh. All right. So how did you land at, is it EADS? Is that- yep. Okay. That's right. And that's actually, it's the parent company for Airbus, okay. um, which is, you know, the, the European counterpart to Boeing or European competitor, I guess I should, should really <laughs> say. But, you know, it, it, when I saw they had an administrative assistant position posted, I was intrigued just because, you know, I, I knew I could do an, an admin type of position. I felt that I could excel in something like that. And so I was looking at roles like that in addition to others. But I felt like it did align with my interests and, and did align with my degree from that international perspective. You know, it was a it was a global company. It was a European company. So, you know, it had the the ability to be able to work with a global team as well. So, you know, ultimately that ended up working out. Right. Right. Yeah. So because you start there as the AA for the Defense Electronics and Systems, and then you ended up becoming the AA for the chairman and CEO. Right. That's right. So gosh, okay. Yeah. So I started there, you know, I started in that one area, one function, and they had an opening for, you know, the chairman and and CEO actually had an executive assistant and two admin assistants. And so there was, you know, it was, he was a, a pretty high level guy, you know, and so there was an opening for one of the admin assistant positions. And I was approached to see if I would be interested in, in moving into that role. So it seemed like a good opportunity. So I, I pursued it. I mean, and that, that's really where like my political interest, you know, kind of started to take shape because it's a political political action committee. So it was the political action committee for EADS North America. So it was interesting. It was kind of like running a small, you know, a small business when I was running that, you know, so I got, I got to have my hands in a lot of different areas and, and it was, it was much more kind of entrepreneurial because I was, I was managing the entire thing on my own. So it was, it was really neat. Right. So when you were saying you were managing the thing on your own, like give us a flavor for what type of work you were doing. Sure. So, I mean, you know, if, the goal of a political action committee, and I, I know people have mixed feelings on, on them in general, but, you know, when it's for a corporation, essentially you are, the, the corporation cannot give directly to candidates, but the, the corporation's employees and only certain employees of a certain level are able to pool their money together in order for the PAC to be able to contribute directly to the campaigns of, of particular candidates. Um, and there are set limits that you can only contribute up to and what have you. So I was doing fundraising, you know, I was doing reporting, like there's, there's a, it's a very regulated area. And so lots of, of reporting, you're trying to sell people, people on it, figuring out which candidates should receive the funds, you know, tracking all of that. So, you know, a lot of, of admin kind of stuff. You know, really just kind of managing the money, making and managing the money for it. Right. And then were were there others who worked with you or were you a team of one? 
I was a team of one running the pack. Now there were others in the government relations department who, you know, would would help with with different pieces that I needed to do. You know, if I was going to do a newsletter or some kind of communication to the people who were who were contributing or to to try and get people interested in it, you know, they'd help me out with with content or they would help to determine which candidates should receive our contributions and that kind of thing. But as far as actually running it, I was a team of one. Wow. Oh my gosh. It seems like a little bit of a jump from supporting the chairman and CEO to now running this committee. How did you navigate? I would imagine you were doing some things that you'd never done before that you were needing to learn as you were doing them. Absolutely. Lots of learning going on there. I was very fortunate in that the person who had held the position before I moved into it, we overlapped a little bit, you know, and she was actually the one who approached me and and said that I should apply for it. And so that was, that was a good feeling and we had a good relationship. And so, you know, again, I was, I was fortunate there that she was able to provide me with a little bit of training. So, you know, she did get me up to speed, but yes, there was a lot to learn. You know, the rules and regulations behind it is one of the the huge things because they are, like I said, it's, it's a very regulated type of thing. It's, you can't just willy nilly ask for money from anybody. You know, it's, there's a lot that, that goes into it. And so that was probably the biggest hurdle was, was figuring that out. I think also building my confidence because, you know, I was, I was having to do some public speaking type of things and talk to people that, you know, I'd never had to before. So kind of getting outside of my comfort zone in in those ways. But yeah, I just really dived in and, you know, looked into whatever resources I could and and learned as much and absorbed as much as I could um, with with anything that I was able to to do related to that. Right. Well, it probably works that you, as someone who was interested in a lot of things in college, it probably worked well that that came with you as you took on all these new responsibilities. Yes. I enjoyed it. You know, it was, I was lucky in that, of course it was stressful. I mean, you know, things, things are stressful in any position, in any new position, especially for anybody. But, you know, I liked, I genuinely liked learning all of this new stuff. So it was, it was good in that way. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you're here for almost four years. It sounds like have done well, have earned different promotions over your time here. What takes you away? You know, it really was just kind of, again, the the problem that I've always had and not really knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, (laughs) Um, there was nothing really in that company that, you know, I didn't really have anywhere to go with within the department that I was in. It was, you know, I could, I could become a lobbyist, which I just, that wasn't an interest of mine you know, or I could, you know, move into some other type of department, some other type of function, which, you know, would be just something new. I was enjoying the political action committee, the government relations type work. And so, you know, I started kind of looking into roles that were along those lines, but, you know, just a a step up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I ultimately BIPAC, my next company, they actually were, were a vendor or a partner we were a member of theirs when I was at EADS North America. And so I, you know, knew some of the people there as well. You know, the position, I, I saw that it was open. I know that they had been trying to hire for it. I didn't feel I was qualified. So I never really applied, but someone, someone there reached out to me and was, and mentioned it. And I said, yes, I saw it, you know, I, I, or, you know, they were really just kind of asking if there's, you know, do you know anybody interested? Not necessarily saying, Hey, Melissa, you, do you want this? Do you want to try this job? But, you know, I was like, yeah, I saw it, but I don't think I have enough experience. And she was like, you absolutely do. Like, let's, we want to interview you. And so that's kind of how that change happened. Oh my gosh. 
That's really neat. Okay. So, and, and this, you came in as director of PAC services. Correct. Oh my gosh. Okay. So obviously you had the experience because you got the job, which is amazing. Did this again for almost two and a half years. So as director, what maybe was different in this role, this bigger role than what you were doing before? Well, there was a lot different and it was a lot more than, than the title. You know, I've always kind of titles to me are, are kind of just a, a title, I guess, you know, for example, if this was a small company, you know, I wasn't like a director of this multinational corporation, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't at that level, but the main ways that it was, that it was different was it was a membership organization. I was providing basically consulting services to other corporations or, or organizations like that on how to run their PACs, you know, best practices and, and things like that. So it was different in that way from, you know, no longer was I the one that was, was running a PAC, but I was advising all these people who had, you know, more experience than me in some cases. And, and so, you know, that was, that could be daunting, but yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. There was, you know, of course, more responsibility with a role like that. So, Okay. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to finding yourself in a role where you've gone from doing in a company to now advising those doing and encountering people, like you said, who had more experience. Like, how did you approach those conversations knowing, you know, kind of needing to kind of silence that voice that was saying like, you know, are you sure you're qualified to (laughs) to advise this person? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and it, it took a little while, you know, I, I would say the first several months, like I, I didn't feel confident enough. And I remember my, my supervisor at the time, you know, this was actually a role um, I, I should point out as well, I guess, because it was, it was another challenge for me and that it was the first time I'd ever managed somebody. So I had, had one direct report when I came in. And so that was, that was something I'd never, never done before in, in um, a professional setting. So, you know, this person that I was managing, he had been there longer than me you know, and, and he had more confidence and, you know, all of that kind of stuff was just kind of a generally, you know, more outspoken type of person than I was when I got there. And so, you know, even though he was my direct report, there were times in, well, a lot of times for the first several months where, you know, he would kind of speak over me or he would take the lead. And, you know, my, my manager, you know, pulled me aside at one point and said, you need to be the one that's, you know, the voice here, you need to take the lead, you need to be the expert you know, that's not his role, you know, and so that just really made me start pushing to, to try and do that, you know, not to, not to overshadow him. It wasn't that kind of thing, but, you know, it was, my role was to be the expert in this, his role, that wasn't his role. It was that he had a different type of role. And so I, I needed to assert myself in order to do my job and to be able to, to look like the expert, whether I felt like it or not. And, you know, I just always have tried to tell myself that even if, there are people out there who know more than me. There are things that I know more than them. You know, like for example, in a role like this, I was hearing from a lot of different organizations what they were doing, what worked for them, what didn't work for them, you know, all these ideas. And I could offer that kind of perspective to them if nothing else. Right. So just trying to find those areas where I, you know, slowly started to build up feeling like an expert. Had he gone for the role that you ended up get, uh, getting? Actually, I don't think that he had. Oh, okay. So yeah, interestingly enough, I, I don't believe that he had. Yeah. Okay. So how did you, I guess, maybe write the ship with that dynamic so that you were able to be the expert, kind of assert yourself where you needed to, while also, you know, 
trying to maintain a healthy relationship with him. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the first important thing was that we did have a good relationship. And so, you know, this, and it, it was never really like a a competition or, you know, never felt like that between us. He was, he was not much, much younger than me, but he was younger. And so, you know, and I had that experience that he had never, you know, he had never run a pack. So I did have more experience than him. And so it was, it was one of those things where I just, rather than, you know, sitting back and letting him just take the reins, just me making sure that I would be the first one. And, you know, I think there were probably some times when, when maybe it was kind of me talking over him or, you know, like we just maybe didn't have that stride of that, that perfect communication of who was going to speak or, or what have you, but we got over that and we moved forward with that. And, you know, I, I did sit down and have some conversations with him just saying, you know, like I, I need to be more, <laughs> I need to be a little bit more in, in the conversation and, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. Like I appreciate the you know, the, the contributions and how you've helped me to learn and, and how you, you know, fill in where I'm not able to, but that I, I, you know, in this role, I am supposed to be my job, like my actual job is to, to be the expert. And so if I'm not able to show that I can do that, then I'm not going to do this job well. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so great to just, I think the communication piece is so important as far as why I'm doing what I'm doing so that this is beneficial. Okay. So I guess I, at this point, it should not be surprising. You end up getting promoted into the VP role for member solutions. So how did this promotion come to be? Yeah. So the, my manager who, you know, who I had mentioned before she left, you know, she was leaving and I was asked to take on her role. You know, I should mention as well, I think some of the interesting things, you know, it it was an interesting dynamic between her and I at first, for the first six months, we did not we didn't get along well, you know, and at like my six month review, she had written some things down and we went and we talked about it. And, you know, that, that also goes back to that open communication. You know, she just kind of said, I, I feel like you don't respect me as your manager. And I, you know, I told her like, I, I don't think it's that. I just, I don't feel like you trust me. You know, what I think is so interesting is this is such a great situation of a scenario where the two of you were experiencing the same thing, but had very differing viewpoints of what was happening. And so it's to your point, really great that there was communication and this time to sit down and talk with one another to get on the same page about where the disconnect was in your dynamic. So was there any other feedback that you got in the six month review that was similar to this one where perhaps her her feedback and your reality maybe were disconnected? Not really. You know, the main thing was just, again, her not feeling like I respected her and me not feeling like she trusted me. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think once we kind of got that out, for whatever reason, after that, it just switched and we had a great relationship. I mean, I I don't want to say like, you know, immediately it was great, but, you know, we ended up becoming friends very close. She, you know, remained a mentor to me. We still send Christmas cards to each other, you know, today. So, it was just really interesting how that happened. And, you know, I think if we had not aired that out and gotten that out and resolved that problem, you know, I was unhappy in the role and had, you know, started looking for other positions and, you know, she would not have been happy with me and never would have suggested me or thought that I would be a good fit to take over from her when she left. I mean, I just, it's such a, such a great example of, you know, uh, one, I think the impact that a, a boss can have on an employee, as far as, you know, you, to your point, like you were six months in and, and miserable and really unhappy. And, but at least having the opportunity to have a conversation about 
what was going on and, you know, clearing the air and getting on the same page and kind of clearing up any misconceptions about what was happening. I think that's, that's so great because it completely changed the trajectory of your, of your time there. And so again, I mean, I think as a manager, like this is part of why it's such a huge responsibility is that I think that assuming good intent, but also, you know, clarifying with people what's going on when they don't behave in a way that you expect that they would behave. Cause it could just be a misunderstanding. Right. Exactly. And that, you know, it was hearing each other's perspectives and, and, you know, kind of understanding it a little bit more, understanding why we each were, or I guess, reacting or acting or, or what have you in, in that way to each other. It, it absolutely. And I think clearing the air is a really good way to put it. You know, it allowed us to kind of reset and, and restart. And, and like you said, it really is amazing how much impact a manager can have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad that that conversation happened because so, you know, you ended up, I mean, couple more years in that role since that point. And then, so upon her departure, it sounds like, were you recommended for the VP role? Like, did you intentionally go after it? I I guess maybe help me again on how it sounded like you got tapped to move into this role. Yes, I did. So actually, you know, the day that I found out that she was leaving, the CEO of the company at that time, again, keep in mind, it was a small company. So, you know, the CEO was her direct supervisor. So he came to me and told, he was the one that told me she was leaving and asked me if I would, if I would take on the role. Wow. Had you like vocalized that you were interested in in moving up or were you, had you done anything to be visible to, to the CEO? I'm so intrigued by, I mean, they clearly, you were, you were the one they wanted for this. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say I did anything necessarily you know, in nothing intentional. I mean, I, I did not vocalize that I wanted to to move up. You know, I think it was really just excelling in what I was doing and not just doing the bare minimum. You know, I wasn't I, I wasn't just kind of putting my head down and getting my job done. You know, I was working with different people. I wanted to improve things. I wanted to, you know, to make things better. I wanted I wanted to see that that growth with the company and and try to to make a difference. You know, and I think, I think he saw that and, you know, saw that I had some of those qualities that, that would be, would be helpful. And I do think she also, my manager also said that, you know, did tell him that, that, you know, she would recommend me as the one to take, take over for her. Right. Right. And I mean, you're kind of hitting on two big things, which is, or three big things, right? It's like, you know, one, you, you have to do the job that you're in well, right? That's kind of like minimum criteria, but then, you know, it it sounds like in this case, like you were visible, like the fact that you were, you know, working with people outside of maybe your, your normal day to day, but it kind of expanding the visibility within your role, but then also having a sponsor and your boss who, you know, advocated for you in conversations when you weren't present in the room. I mean, those are that's a really, really big thing to have in a company. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, I feel very lucky that I, I was able to have those things, you know, but, but I think it is important to not just sit back and not just, you know, do the bare minimum. I think, I think you stand out, you know, and, and I have been lucky enough to, to stand out just because it comes naturally to me to want to make things better, to want to make a difference. Right. Gosh. Okay. So, I mean, you go on to be in this role for almost six years 
And then here's the thing that is feels like an epic curveball, which is after doing it for all this time, then you move into a customer success manager role at a new company. So what? Yeah, and it was a, it was a curveball. Was um, okay, so all right, help help yeah. us understand because I mean you've been building this amazing career. You've been working as an admin for PAC, then you were a director of PAC services, then you held the VP of member relations for almost six years, right? So all this work, and then major pivot into customer success manager at Evolution, which is a a, a software company. Right. What made yes. you and, and it was deliberate to take a step back and deliberate to make that that switch. You know, I think it was it, it kind of got to the point where, you know, things that at my role, my my previous role with BIPAC, there just were a lot of, of factors to where I had gotten very burnt out and my time had just run its course there. It was time for something new. You know, I, I didn't feel that I was was able to be effective. I, I felt like, you know, it was just it was time for a change. And, you know, when I started to, to reflect on that, you know, I didn't really know what my next step would be. I, I knew that I wanted to get out of the political world. You know, I, I enjoy the political process. I've, you know, I never wanted to, to be further into it, I would say. You know, so I thought about, you know, p- part of what I did was, was membership type stuff. You know, BIPAC was, um, is kind of a membership type of organization. So I considered, you know, working for a trade association in a membership type of role. But that, you know, that also, I didn't know that I saw myself doing that long-term for the rest of my life, essentially. And, you know, the other aspect of BIPAC is that there there is a technology platform. And that's where I was really kind of introduced to software, you know, and, and providing software, selling software, you know, working with customers on that. And I liked that aspect. You know, I felt like I, I did pretty well with, with the technology. I became an expert in it in, in all kinds of ways. And so, you know, this is, this is where I want to go is in the technology world. So, you know, again, started to think about my, my strengths. And I had learned about customer success and had actually been implementing some of the, you know, some of that into to what I was doing in my, in my then current role. And, you know, I, I just kind of decided this is what I want to make my career out of. You know, I, I as, as we've talked about, I feel like I've, I've never had a set path. And, you know, I really wanted to find something that I could, could settle into and grow into for, for the very long term, you know, the very, very long future. And so, you know, I, I, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I, you know, studied more about it, applied for lots of different jobs. You know, I did, I certainly did have trouble with getting a role in that. I mean, that, that particular role took me, I think, eight to nine months to even get that after lots of interviewing. You know, I think people did see that maybe in some ways felt that I was overqualified, but in some ways I think I was underqualified because there was a lot about the field that I didn't know. Um, you know, so it was kind of like I wasn't really right or, or people did not feel that I was really right for a complete entry-level position in that, but I, I wasn't at a point where I could be managing a team or anything like that. It was, it was a tough time, honestly, trying to, to figure that out. But, you know, I felt, I felt like that was the right path. You know, I didn't really know. I didn't feel that I could jump from, you know, like the vice president job that I was in at the time into to something kind of similar to that you know, because I was in such a niche organization that it, not all of my skills and experience directly translated into something else. And so that's, that's what led me to the customer success thing. 
Got it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, I would imagine whew, that would be quite the process to go through of realizing realizing that one, you're burnt out and this is not sustainable, but it also isn't really where your, your heart was, nor is it leading you on a path of where you want to go. And it's interesting listening to you talk about, you know, where you were finding yourself naturally gravitating, where it was like becoming an expert on the technology that you were using and really enjoying that versus, you know, not so much around like the political process anymore. It wasn't necessarily where, where you were as invested. So I, what's interesting to me is, were there things that you did? Cause I, I, again, I think about like, when I think about burnout and being burned out, it's a very, like, I would say it's almost impossible in that frame of mind to be able to think and pause and reflect and be able to assess what you want and ask yourself maybe some of the harder questions. How did you juggle working in this role, but also start honing in on what you ultimately were going to set out to pursue? I think a lot of it was research. And, you know, I also, I did, did speak with, with people and, you know, tried to just gather information from, from different people. You know, I did reach out randomly to, to different Mm -hmm. customer success managers, because I didn't know anybody in the field. And so, you know, I just, I used LinkedIn to try and, and just reach out and had, you know, coffee with a couple of people to learn a little bit more about that. As far as, as kind of juggling it from, you know, a a mind space and, you know, time perspective, I, I think, I was fortunate, I guess, at the time that I was, you know, taking the metro to and from work, you know, I had an hour long commute where I was just kind of each way. So two hours a day, basically, where I could just sit and reflect, Mm. Um, you know, and so I I did a lot of thinking during during those times, you know, and a lot of research and, and just kind of looking into things. Yeah, I love that you reached out to people and interviewed them and asked them questions so she, you could understand. Like this was a very, to your point, it was a very deliberate and intentional move on your part and something that you had had thought through. And I'm sure, you know, on paper may not necessarily have made sense to everyone, but like when you made the decision that this is what you're going to go after, like you had you had very strong reasons for what why this path and you had done your you'd done your homework on it. It was not an easy decision. No. And I mean, in some ways, I mean, you have quite a bit of courage because this was now the second time in your career where you had built up whether it was knowledge or hands-on ex- experience in a certain space and then you know made a major change and kind of followed your interest or followed what was most important to you at that time rather than kind of staying down a path because you'd already put in time or work in pursuit of that path that you were on right yeah that's true that's a good point yeah it takes a lot of courage so and I mean I think you were rewarded for this in some way so you get to evolution you were hired on as the customer success manager after a grueling nine month interview process. You're brought on board. And then six months later, you're promoted to VP of the Americas region. Yeah. So (laughs) I, you know, again, another deliberate thing was, you know, that I, I actually did not want a position where I was managing people. I needed a break from that, you know, and again, I wanted to reset, become an expert in something and be able to to just go down that path to where I felt like I could, could be a high level type of manager, you know, because I, w- I would know what I was doing, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, I should really say, 
you know, that that's just not what happened. And, you know, my manager at the time left and, you know, I was asked by the CEO, who's now my, my direct manager, to move into that role. You know, once again, leading and managing a whole team of people, which, you know, I was ready for it at the time. I'd had, you know, a five or six month break. So I was okay with it. You know, I think that was, it was something I definitely needed to think about. But after having that break, you know, I was, I was ready for it in most ways, I should say, at least. (laughs) I want to come back to this. You mentioned wanting to have a break from managing. How come? I think managing is something that I, I don't feel comes naturally to me. You know, I, I think that I'm a natural leader for whatever reason, leading seems to come naturally and I seem to gravitate towards that and it just kind of happens, you know, and it's been that way for me since, you know, at least high school. I never necessarily decided and said, oh, I want to be a leader. I want to be in a leadership position. But I guess that that's just one of those, you know, I'm lucky enough that that's a, a trait that somehow comes naturally to me. Managing does not. I have to work at it, you know, and so it, it it was definitely a part of it that, that burnt me out is managing people. So this is really interesting because, you know, it, some might argue that managing and, and leading like seem like they should be the same thing. Others would argue that you, you, were, you, you can be a leader without being a manager. So for you, what was it about managing that was, I guess, where do you draw the differentiation between being a manager versus being a leader? I think in a lot of ways there, you can see the similarities and you can see why people would, would tie them together. To me, it's, it's very different things. And, you know, I think managing, when I think of managing, I think of, you know, kind of more of the the HR personnel type of things where you are, you know, doing performance reviews, you're needing to, you know, mediate conflicts between employees, you know, handling when there are just general, you know, general constructive feedback that you need to provide to someone, you know, that doesn't come easy to me. I, I get nervous. I've had to fire people. I don't get nervous at all. You know, when I'm public in, doing a public speaking engagement um, type of thing where I know what I'm talking about, right. but to fire someone, you know, I've got knots in my stomach feel so nauseous, you know? So to me, those are the types of things that come with, with managing. Whereas yeah. leading, I think a lot of leading is you know, some of it is done by example. I think a lot of it is, is kind of looking at the big picture and helping, you know, the, the pieces of that picture to work together. You know, it's really just kind of making things work, making things move forward, you know, setting, setting processes, setting, you know, ways of, of doing things and, and all of that type of stuff to me is a little bit more what I see as, as leadership. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of answered my question, but I want to, or a a different question I want to ask, um, but I want to ask it anyways, which is, you know, I always, if anyone's been listening to this podcast, they know that my ears tend to prickle up when I hear the word lucky multiple times, because I, I don't put a lot, I do believe there is a thing of luck, an element of luck. But typically when certain patterns continue to emerge for a person, it's usually not luck. It's something that they're doing. So if I were to kind of push you a little bit on, you mentioned being lucky that you have leadership traits, but what, you know, like, I guess maybe I'm very curious of like, what are the things that come really naturally to you? Or what are the superpowers that you have that allow you to be a, be somebody that people kind of naturally choose to follow whether you have authority over them or not? 
that's a good question. You know, I think I think some of it is, you know, I, I would have to point to empathy. You know, I think I'm a pretty empathetic person. I, I feel like I have a, a good amount of compassion. You know, I, I volunteer and feel that it's important to, for myself to, to give back to the world and, and things like that. And I think that having that type of empathy and compassion is really important as a leader because, you know, people, people gravitate to people who they feel understand them and who they feel, you know, can, can relate to, to what they're doing. So I think for me, that's one thing that I do really well that I do think is, is really important in leadership. You know, I think some of the other kind of more, probably more hard skills as far as, you know, being organized and, you know, able to, to get things done and, and, you know, make sure that things are happening, those kinds of things, you know, being proactive, taking initiative, et cetera. Those are some of the things that the, the traits that I have that I think have helped with leadership. I think there's a lot of different things. I mean, you mentioned the courage. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I don't feel like I had it when I was younger. I feel like I was actually a pretty shy person. And I, I honestly look back and I'm just like, how did I end up in these leadership positions in, in, you know, some of my extracurricular activities? Like, I honestly, it baffles me. Like, I, I don't even know how it happened. But, you know, I think, I think one of the, the things that I have always done is I haven't been afraid to put myself in those uncomfortable positions. You know, it's, it's still scary. That doesn't mean that I'm not afraid of it, you know, but I, I have pushed myself to do these types of things that I, I may not have innately thought were possible or were things that I could, could necessarily do. I tried it anyways. Right. Right. Yeah. And would you say like, it's like, cause you've, it sounds like it's something that you've kind of almost grown into, like, as you've done it, as you've said, yes, as you put yourself in these situations where maybe you were uncomfortable, like, and you've been able to figure them out and align yourself to people who can help you. Like, has that made it easier to say yes to things that make you nervous? Yes, for sure. I've definitely found an easier time in doing that. And I think, you know, just, just time in general experience, you know, it comes with, it comes with that because you, once you've started to do these things, once you put yourself in these uncomfortable positions, you learn that it's not so bad and that it's not going, you know, to be the end of the world. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, this is somewhat off topic, but I've, I've, you know, kind of attributed online dating even to some of my confidence that has happened because for me, that was an extremely uncomfortable thing, but I kept doing it and found ways around that, you know, around what was making me uncomfortable to make it so that I could do that. You know, that was in, in my younger days. And, you know, that was around the time that I think that my career and, and my leadership were really forming. And so, you know, I, for me, that was huge. You know, it was these things that were, were literally making my stomach turn. And, you know, I just, I did it anyways. And like I said, I found, I tried to figure out what was making me so nervous. I mean, and, and this isn't just about the, that example, but about anything, what was making me so nervous and how can I mitigate that? You know, I, I, that's so, it's such a, it's a wonderful example because it's what you're hitting on is a really big thing, which is that idea of, I think, sitting in the discomfort for a moment and Mm -hmm. acknowledging, acknowledging that you're feeling some, some sort of way. And in this case, you know, in a negative emotion and I, you know, I, I've really latched on to, you know, it, it was Dr. Susan David was the first one I heard talk about it, which is like negative emotions are just data points. They inform us about mm-hmm. things that, that matter to us. And um, they're not necessarily good or bad, but they are informative. And so I, I think the fact that you 
chose to tune into what was it that was just making you so uneasy. And then I really love that once you identified something that's making you uneasy and, and we're kind of getting to the crux of why, then figuring out, you know, again, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but like based off of what you did well, or kind of what you, you know, where, where your comfort might lie using those things to help you cope with what was making you uncomfortable. So that you could still right. move forward, do the thing, in this case, you know, online dating, but using your other strengths to help offset some of the, that, that discomfort. Right. Exactly. Yes. Trying to be in tune to my own emotions and tuned to really yeah. like, what, why am I so nervous about this? You know, and then just, like I said, adjusting in ways that I was able to adjust, adjusting the situation in ways that I could to make myself feel more comfortable so that I could, could do it and get through it. And, you know, it got easier and easier and, and all of that, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing. I think like public speaking, you know, it's, yeah. it's scary at first, especially when it's, when it's a new topic that you don't feel like an expert on, but the more you do it, you know, the more comfortable you're going to get. Right. I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I love this so much because there's several things. One is that, you know, it's, I, we never stop being afraid or uncomfortable or right. Like that, that never goes away or like the little, you know, like the little gremlins come out trying to tell us like, what are you doing? You don't belong. Like you can't do this. Right. And I love <laughs> that. You know, what you're essentially describing is a very effective coping strategy for recognizing it and shutting it down and not allowing it to be a blocker in your progress but instead kind of you you've really honed in on what are the things that allow you to continue making progress and moving forward and facing you know facing that uncomfortable feeling head on and i just i think that's so that's such a valuable skill set to develop and and to your point then you know allowing yourself multiple at bats because the first time you do anything it's 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 new. It's, you know, like to expect it to go great is, right. is a bit unreasonable, but if you keep at it, you know, you can gain quite proficient. And what's funny to me is, you know, you mentioned public speaking at the beginning. And then when you were talking about having to fire someone, you actually mentioned like you felt comfortable doing public speaking, but not firing. So, I mean, over the course of your career, like that's actually become something that you feel much more comfortable with. So I think that's even exciting to see you can take something that initially it was very uncomfortable for you and it ends up becoming something that, you know, you feel quite comfortable doing. Right. And it's, it's not easy, believe me, you know, and it's like you said, being comfortable with that discomfort and, yeah. you know, just trying to, to push through with, with that. I mean, it, you know, I, I have a, a younger coworker who, you know, mentioned she adjusted her, her flights because she'd never flown alone before. And, you know, I, I thinking about this, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, interesting but then I really dug into it and I'm like you know what the first time I flew by myself I was probably scared out of my mind right. you know but now that I've done it so many times you know it just it doesn't feel scary in the least and it's just so foreign to me why that would be scary but you know you have to think about back to when you you know I was first doing that and so that was another good example of just you know I, I think it's difficult to get over these discomforts these fears these you know insecurities until you are actually doing the thing. Right. Right. Well, and I think right there, you just showed us another example of your empathy of like, you know, at first, maybe it didn't make sense to you, but now you've been able to see like, you put yourself in, in, in this team member's shoes. So I, I mean, I think we just got a flavor right there of your empathetic strength. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, going back to this 
being, again, you know, being asked by the CEO to move into this role. I mean, this is so fascinating to me because virtually every promotion you've had in your career, you've been asked to take on, which is, I mean, that's incredible. And not always in roles where you're like actively advocating or championing for yourself. So in this situation, was there like, how, how did the CEO know who you were? How, you know, how did it end up that they came to you and said, we want you to be the VP of Americas? Yeah, that's a good question. And and actually, I guess an interesting one, if you think about it, because he's actually based in Australia and I had only met him, I think twice when, uh, in person, you know, when, when this all happened, he's, you know, he's a very hands-on type of CEO, which is great. You know, he really and truly does care about all of the employees. And so, you know, whenever he is able to visit, he sits down with several different people and just talks and here's, you know, here's what they have to say. And, you know, there were, were some concerns that he was hearing. And I, you know, from, from what I understand, you know, people were, were kind of saying, I think Melissa would do well in this position. Um, you know, a couple of people mentioned that, and I guess he just saw in me and, and, you know, I mean, I, I should add, we, we need to recognize that I had the experience, you know, yeah. there were there, nobody else on the team had really had the experience, it, you know, maybe one, one or two other people, but just that they were in very different roles, but of leading a team and managing people in the way that I had. So, you know, that, that would, I think be, be the first thing that kind of triggered that, that maybe I could potentially do this. You know, and then I guess probably just the the few times that we talked. I mean, I think a lot of it was probably him putting putting a lot of faith in in me, um, you know, and and just having seen I guess so far my work ethic and you know the things that I had done since I you know since I had arrived. You know, I'm I'm the type of person that I think you know I kind of mentioned it earlier. I I'm I'm not okay with just doing my job at the bare minimum. You know, I wanna I wanna go above and beyond. I wanna make things better. Well, and it sounds like you really, you know, yeah, like you clearly made positive, strong impressions on people that you were working with, that they kind of spoke up on your behalf. Obviously, you brought an incredible background with you of, of experience and leadership. And then, you know, the few times that you were able to sit down with him, I am curious when you sat down with him, like, did you go into those conversations? Like, did you prepare in any sort of way? I mean, like, it sounds like you made the most of those interactions and obviously made an impression, but I'm curious if that was done intentionally, if there, you know, if if that was part of, I don't want to say, I guess maybe the strategy of like knowing that you were going to have a time to sit down with him. Like, was there anything that you did in preparation for those one-on-ones? No, there was no preparation at all. It was, you know, really when, when we have those discussions, you know, he, he just kind of wants to hear how, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Get to know us as people. And, you know, so it's really just, just chatting, honestly. So yeah, no, no preparation as much as I like to say. I mean, it's just interesting looking back and I feel like there are, there are definitely areas where I have not advocated for myself, you know, for, for leadership positions and stuff like that, you know, and I, I, there's parts of me that I guess could you know, again, could regret that. But, you know, I, I think for me, the approach that I have taken of not being just power hungry, you know, that's, that's not me. You know, I just, I want to do a good job. I want to help the organizations that I work for to improve and to grow and, and, and to what have you. And, you know, that I, I think, you know, I, I, the fact that I genuinely feel that way and that I'm not looking for these positions, 
you know, because I want to be a leader, because I just want to grow and aspire to, to manage people, you know, because I genuinely have the best interests of, of the company and the people in mind, you know, I think that that just comes through, to be completely honest. I think that's, that's probably a big part of, of why I have been able to be successful. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what, what stands out, you know, throughout this conversation is that, you know, you are, you're very intentional in nature. And so whenever you have made a decision to pursue something, you've done it with great intent. And it's often rooted in who you are, what you're enjoying, you know, where you, where you want to have an impact and add value. And, and so I think that's, you know, when that is the driving force. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that you're able to be very effective in the roles that you have because you've chosen them based off of, you know, what aligns best with what you want. And so, you know, you're not pursuing things because people are telling you you should, you're not, you know, going after these roles because it would look good on a resume or it's a title you want to hold, but rather it's something that speaks to you. And I, I just, I think when you start with what is what you want and what your kind of what you know is best for you it's it's very difficult to go wrong when that's your compass I think that's a really good point you know I think there are certain situations where you know people just want to climb a ladder and you know I I understand that that ambition and I think that that's great for certain people for me that was never the driving factor and, you know, I think, like you said, I've, I've just kind of followed what was right for me. And, and that, for me, has led to my success. Well, and I, I think what's so neat about the work that you're doing now. So, you know, you're running a team that you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're essentially like a mini CEO in your role because you own the America's region. You have sales, you have product, you have customer services and success. And then, you know, you work with marketing, even though technically they're, they, they kind of dotted line to you, but I mean, you own the strategy for the America's region. So, I mean, I think this is such an, you know, again, like it's funny looking back on you again, if we go back to when you talked about college of like, you were really interested in a lot of things this role in some ways feels like it's very a natural fit that you are, you know, because of your interest in being able to work across multiple areas, that's what you're doing now. Yes. And I think that, I think that's a a good observation and it really has come kind of full circle. You know, when you started saying that, I was thinking about that, that I guess it really has come full circle, you know, from, from a time when I had so many different interests and didn't know what to pursue. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've frankly been jealous of some people who have that nice set career path, you know, they're, yeah. they're going along to be an engineer and that's what they're going to be. You know, they, they're able to, to do courses and they know what to do. And it's just kind of an easy type of path to see ahead of you. And I, you know, never had that, but yes, this, this role fits me so well because I do get to use lots of different strengths and I get to be involved in so many different types of things and, you know, that's, that's just what I enjoy. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting in these conversations. Cause I, you know, to your point, like when you don't know the path and sometimes you're not even sure the destination, you know, like that right. sucks. <laughs> that's like, you know, like that can be a really frustrating feeling. Cause it does feel mm-hmm. like you look around and you're like, everybody else seems to have it figured out. Where do I belong? And yet I, you know, I, again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just hit it one more time. Like I, I think your ability to focus on the next step 
you know, just taking it one step at a time, really tuning into yourself and then making, you know, again, making the next move, not worrying so much about the final destination, but as you learn about yourself, allowing that to inform your decisions. And, you know, I think that's, you know, now we can look back in hindsight and say like, look, this path makes total sense, but you know, starting out, there's no way somebody would have ridden this path for you. So I, I think it's such a great example of like, you know, I love, I love hearing these stories because it's a great reminder that like, it's okay to not have a path, to not know the path, to maybe not know the destination, but if you continue to stay true to, you know, again, kind of follow where your passion lies, your interests lie, you show up, you, you do a great job and you, you know, continue making a move when it's the right time to make a move that you ultimately, you know, end up where you're meant to be at this moment in time. Yes, I think that's, that's, that's very true. And, you know, I think another, another unique thing that, you know, I think is good for, you know, for people coming up in their career paths to think about is, you know, my, my first company, I was there for four years. That was my first, you know, true nine to five full-time type job out of college. And, you know, my, the second company, I was there for eight years and now I'm at, at my third and, you know, it's been two and a half years and there's no, you know, I have no thoughts of leaving at all. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's also to me, I think if, you know, bouncing around a ton would have been difficult for me because, you know, a lot of my success has come from being able to become an expert and being able to really, you know, make, make a path and make a difference on the organizations that I've been with. And you can't do that in a year or two. Right. Right. And I think that goes back to knowing yourself, you know, I mean, I think that's like, like, that's what allows you to be really effective is to get in, to really understand it, wrap your arms around it, immerse yourself in the knowledge. And then really, I mean, clearly, you know, through your track record, like you're able to grow within the company and you, you thrive. And I think that's just such a great thing to be able to know about yourself. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Melissa, I mean, I, this has been so fun to kind of learn this new side of you and not necessarily in a, a client relationship, but actually getting to know you as a person and what led you to where you are. And I, I always love asking this question because it's, it, I, I tend to learn a ton from it, which is, you know, as you reflect back on your career, whether it was a piece of advice that somebody gave you that has served you really well or something that throughout your career up until this point, you've, you've learned that has been really valuable. What would be that one thing that you would want people to, to take away with them? Sure. I think for, for me, you know, it's really that don't be afraid to start at the bottom or to start over, you know, with, with the beginning of my career and, you know, coming out of with a master's degree and starting in, as an admin assistant, a lot of people would, would scoff at that or wouldn't be willing to do that but it was what I needed to be able to shine and to, to show my value. You know, again, going into the customer success role from, from, you know, the previous VP role, like, you know, it was a, it was a step back, a pay cut, all of that kind of stuff, but, you know, it only opened up doors for me. So, you know, I think I would just, my advice would be to, to not be afraid of those things, you know, don't be afraid of not finding the perfect position or, you know, of just kind of getting your foot in the door with, with whatever you can and learning as much as you can, absorbing as much as you can and, and just growing as a person, growing professionally and all of that. I really, I really love that. I love that so much. And it's, uh, I think it's a good 
It's a good reminder for all of us. And I think even, you know, even for, you know, people listening that are well into their careers, like it's, it's okay to, to start over and it's not, it's never really truly starting over. <laughs> I think that's the other thing. It feels like it, but you know, even if it is, you know, quote unquote, starting over, it's never really starting over. Cause you're starting with all of this incredible experience and skills and wisdom that you bring with you that you didn't have when you first started out. Melissa, this has been such a treat. I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing your story and I'm just so grateful that you said yes to to be on Rising Tide and I'm so excited to continue watching you as you progress in your career. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is this has been great, and it's been really interesting to to kind of reflect on on what has gotten me to where I am today. So, thank you for that opportunity as well. Oh, good. Yes. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> oh, thanks for being on. There's always something really magical in each of the women that I get to interview, and what stood out so much to me about Melissa is her ability to stand in the face of something that scared her and move forward. I love that she talks about how she grounds herself, how she looks for facts to offset perhaps some of those gremlin thoughts that she might have. And really staying true to herself has allowed her to ultimately find her way to a career that she never could have imagined starting out. I have included all the information if you wanna connect with Melissa, Please, if her story resonated with you, be sure to reach out and let her know. As always, I'd love it if you would leave a review for Rising Tide on the podcast provider that you're listening to. And I'm so grateful that you're here and part of this community. Until next week, keep rising.